Episode 67 of Two Levens Baseball Talk is here. I'm joined by the host of the Smitty and Mitty Show, Noah Smith and Tyler Middleton, to talk all things Blue Jays. We'll talk about the Pioneer League extra innings, home run derby situation. Uh, maybe we'll dive into some Rockies as well and some stories from around the league. This episode is one you don't want to miss. Two Elevens Baseball Talk episode 67 starts right after this. That was Valence by Infinite walking you into episode 67 of 211's Baseball Talk. As I mentioned in the intro today, I'm joined by the hosts of the Smitty and Mitty show, Noah Smith and Tyler Middleton. They're also a London-based podcast uh, who are on the air on all your favorite podcast platforms, as well as a radio station in Owen Sound and St. Mary's. Uh, if you recall, a few weeks ago, I was one of their guests on a web exclusive talking all about the Blue Jays season and previewing that. Uh, very grateful to have them on the show. How's it going today, boys? Hi, Dylan. <laughs> hi dylan <laughs> it's good to have you guys on you can check out their uh most recent episode with colin mockery uh this past week on all podcast platforms how was that interview that must have been something different for you guys who are so used to sports yeah that was uh listen it was great to talk to him it wasn't anything sports at all so like <laughs> if you're looking for sports content you're not going to find it but to talk to someone who is probably one of the most well-known comedians in all of canada like it was fantastic if you want a good drinking game, then listen to our show. And every time Noah says great talk or an amazing guest, take a drink because you, you, <laughs> you'll fall over by the end of the show. But no, he, uh, yeah, I mean, he's just such a different man when you get to talk to him that, than what you see on, on TV. And he was the first guy that, you know, we get some traction with sports lovers and sports fans and, and a certain, we, we've built a base. We have a certain community, but this was the first time where it, it reached out to way more than just sports fans, obviously, because who doesn't know Colin Mockery and who hasn't watched whose lines did anyway. So I think the, the interesting thing, listening to the interview, and please go back and listen to it. If you are listening to this as well, um, it's just how different he really is. Then he's so shy. He's shy. He's, he's underspoken. He's, but he's still an amazing and funny man. That's awesome. Uh, I listened to a bit of the episode. I'm not fully through it yet, but it's, it's sounding great so far. And Colin Mockery, just a really funny guy. Like you said, who doesn't know who Colin Mockery is? And uh, it's great that you guys were able to reach out beyond the sports community and talk to a guest over there. Without further ado, let's get right into things. Following a split with the Red Sox, the Jays headed to Tampa Bay to wrap up the road trip at the Trop. In game one, it was Steven Matz versus Tyler Glasnow. And I've got to be honest, I didn't expect much. However, in the first inning after Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette struck out, Bo's at-bat was a long one. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. singled, which Rowdy Telez followed up with a screaming double, scoring Vladdy and putting the Jays up 1-0. A couple batters later with Rowdy and Randall Grichuk on, Marcus Semyon went deep to put the Jays ahead 4-0 in the first. In the bottom half, the Rays were pressing until Lourdes Gurriel Jr. threw out Yandy Diaz at the plate to maintain the 1-0 score. Glasnow and Matt settled in, so no scoring until the fifth when Randy Arozarena hit a three-run shot to make it 4-3 all of a sudden. And then in the sixth, Randall Grichuk went deep to make it 5-3. That's all the Jays needed with that lights-out bullpen. In the second game of the series, Robbie Ray was matched up against Brent Honeywell Jr. and Ryan Yarbrough because openers. The Jays once again got the scoring started in the first inning as Randall Grichuk went deep with a three-run shot to make it three-zip Jays early. Mike Zanino went deep in the second, then Robbie Ray dominated until the sixth when Mike Brasso hit a two-run shot to tie things up. Jordan Romano made his return from injury but looked a little bit shaky as he walked several guys. Then he allowed a hard-hit ball that was scored as a Kevin Biggio error which allowed Brandon Lau to score. But Lourdes Gurriel with a second outfield assist in as many days throughout Mike Brasso to keep it 4-3 Tampa for the time being. That would only last one batter longer as Kevin Kiermeyer drove home a run to make it 5-3, which is how the game ended. On Sunday, Hyunjin Ryu took the mound against top prospect Luis Patino, who the Rays got in the Blake Snell deal. To put it lightly, I am not excited that the Jays have to face this guy for several years. Patino went through the order once, then got taken out for Josh Fleming. 
In the bottom of the fourth, Hyunjin Ryu seemed to tweak something in his leg. He would be taken out after just three and two-thirds innings, and it would later be revealed that he, that he suffered a minor glute strain. He said he would be fine to make his next start and has since been placed on the 10-day IL. As friend of the show, Andrew Stoughton said the same thing happened in 2014 when Ryu was with the Dodgers. They thought he could make his next start, but he could not. He wound up only missing 15 days on the 15-day DL at the time, so we hope it's not too severe with Ryu on the IL. Back to the game now. In the fifth inning, Santiago Espinal came up in a big spot and drove home a run to make it one nothing. After stellar work from Meza, Chatwood, Baraki, Phelps, Dolis, and that whole bullpen, there was no more scoring as the Jays took two out of three at the Trop with a one nothing win. A brief two-game set for the Jays against the Nats in Dunedin to start a homestand for the Jays featured Max Scherzer and the Nats going up against the Toronto Blue Jays' bullpen. Trent Thornton got the start for the Jays and immediately gave up a leadoff home run to Trey Turner to get that first game underway. No scoring after that until the third inning when, guess who, Trey Turner came up to the plate again and went deep again. 2-0 Nats. Thornton was then lifted for Tommy Malone, who proceeded to give up a home run to Yadiel Hernandez, the first batter he faced, 3-0 Nats. Bottom half and Max Scherzer has loaded the bases, stepping up as arguably the hottest hitter in the AL East, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Vladdy battled, found his pitch, and crushed it for a grand slam, 4-3 Jays in the third inning. In the fourth, a little bloop error from Josh Harrison scored Joe Panic to make it 5-3, infuriating Scherzer. Then Kevin Biggio drove Alejandro Kirk home with a sack fly to make it 6-3. The Nats left Scherzer in for the fifth, which was uh, confusing, and Vladdy made them pay, hitting another home run, this time a solo shot to make it 7-3. That won't be the last you hear from Vlad. Before we get you back to your regularly scheduled Vlad mashing, Ryan Zimmerman took Joel Pyamps deep on a two-run shot to make it 7-5 in the seventh. However, Vlad took matters into his own hands, homering for the third time in the bottom half of that inning with Bo aboard to make it 9-5. That would be the final score, an absolutely incredible game for Guerrero. Wednesday was the first day of Springer for Jays fans as George Springer debuted, DHing and leading off. On the mound, Stephen Matz faced Eric Fetty. No scoring until the third and Ryan Zimmerman singled home two runs to make it two zip. Then Starlin Castro drove home Josh Harrison to make it three nothing. In the fourth, Josh Harrison went deep with a three run shot off of Matz to make it six nothing, and it officially became a very bad outing. In the fifth, Ty Tice served up a long ball to Josh Bell to make it eight nothing. But the Jays got one back as Lourdes Guriel Homer to make it eight to one. Then in the bottom of the eighth, Bo Bichette went yard to make it eight to two. And that would be the final score. Springer went over in his debut. Uh, so, guys, so far this season, Stephen Matz has been a very pleasant surprise for the Blue Jays. When he was acquired in the offseason, I had Andrew Stoughton on my show uh, in January. And Stoughton said, ideally, Matz is a bullpen guy, but he's going to have to pitch in the rotation as a Blue Jay. Uh, so far this year, he's been awesome. And, I, and keep in mind, we're recording this Wednesday night and Steven Matz is pitching tonight. So if he deuces the futon in today's game, don't blame us. But do you guys think, uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. Do you think that Steven Matz can keep this or something like this up over a full 162? I think we've seen time and time again that Pete Walker is an absolute magician. Uh, he takes he takes guys that are reclamation projects and turns them into all-stars to be it. I mean, just like the list is is so long of guys who have changed, have turned their uh, their career around in Toronto, and just recently with Robbie Ray, who is pitching very well and has the tightest pants in the league, <laughs> and also Steve Mass, who, granted, he only really had one bad year, and how much can we take out of a sixty game season? But when you have an eleven ERA, there's some work to do there. But he's pitching with a lot of confidence, throwing a lot of strikes, throwing mid nineties with a lot of movement from the left side, and you really can't beat that. So I put a lot of the onus on Pete Walker, but also these players for believing in themselves again that they can be the pitchers that they once were. Absolutely, and I know Pete Walker. I mean, he's he's like you said, he's a magician. He can do it with anybody. It seems uh, there have been very few guys that uh, that have that have struggled under Pete Walker in Toronto. So he's been, uh, he's been awesome for them. And I know that Matt's has always had the stuff, but uh, he's had some walk issues and he was a guy in New York who struggled a lot with the walks. He seems to have that command this year though, Noah. Yeah. I hate to go back to the, the same old Pete Walker thing, but I mean, he figures out those small things with guys that it just seems they can't figure out 
on their own. So you put a lot of what's going on right now in the credit of Pete Walker, but don't let that take away the credit from Mattson himself. I mean, he's put in the work and it's showing right now. He's kept the walks down. And like you said, we're recording this Wednesday night as he's starting again here. I don't know if he's going to have another great start under his belt. I don't know if he can keep up how good he's been for 162, but I, I think this is a breakout year for him. And I think this is one of those years where you can look at him and say, he's one of your top two guys in the rotation this year. And it's not, it's not a, he doesn't have the stuff thing. The exact same thing as Robbie Ray. They have the stuff. Their stuff is electric. They strike out MLB all-star kind of stuff. They just needed to hone it and, and learn how to pitch again within the strike zone. And I think sometimes major league hitters get scared of the strike zone that, or major league pitchers get scared of the strike zone that they think if, even if they lay over a fastball, it's going to get hit. That's not the case. MLB hitters fail seven out of 10 times. And even if you do that, you are a Hall of Fame hitter. So I think what Pete does a lot is hone mechanics and just say, you know what? Trust your stuff, pitch to the middle, and let it run to the corners. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, Robbie Ray, great example. He walked a bunch of guys in Arizona, and he just had a start where he didn't walk a single batter against the Rays, I believe. He struck out nine, didn't walk a guy, gave up three runs, but that was more due to the two home runs. So Walker has this crazy ability to figure guys out, and uh, it seems to be the case with Mats. But with any adjustment, the player has to be willing to to, to make that adjustment. So like you mentioned, Noah, I mean, Steven Matz had to be willing to accept this and he's put in the work and uh, he's been pitching really well. The Blue Jays bullpen has also been pitching really well. Uh, Noah, what have your thoughts been on how they've pitched this year? Surprising is going to be the first word I'm going to use for you. I, I, you look at the bullpen coming into the year and there is some bright spots there for sure. There's some guys that you knew were going to have a good year. Then there's some spots that were you, but I think overall through the first 20 games or whatever it's been to start the season, it, it's been a surprising bullpen. I think a lot of guys have worked on stuff in the off season, brought it in here. Overall, I mean, what are the numbers right now for the Blue Jays pitching staff as a whole, just over three on the air, right? Like it's been fantastic. You just hope that they can get the bats going to, because you're not going to keep this up all year. I don't think. No, I don't think you will either. And I think that the bullpen has been a, a major key to the Blue Jays somewhat success so far this season, obviously only at 500 uh, in the month of April, but a big reason I think is Charlie Montoyo and, and Tyler, I know you and I, uh, both haven't agreed with a lot of the decisions Charlie Montoya has made in the past. Um, do you think he deserves more credit for the way he's handled this bullpen? I don't listen. I'm a Charlie basher. I, I don't believe he is a, you know, coach of the year candidate that he was last year and getting votes for a manager of the year. I don't think he's that. I think all he is, and we've had guests on who have basically confirmed this to us. He's a puppet. He has his sheets that tell him who goes and when, and he just does it. And that's why this front office loves him is because he's going to do exactly what the analytics tell him to do. We saw Danny Jansen hit third last year in a game. That should never happen if you have any kind of brain in your head. But all he sees is that that's exactly what the front office is telling me to do. So I'm going to do it. So I give him credit for doing what the analytics do, but I give the analytics credit. But it kind of also makes for a bit of a more boring game if that's even the proper words with all the pitching changes but that is what baseball is and, and they've done it effectively so far yeah and I think it's partially also knowing when to take guys out and whether that's Montoyo and Pete Walker communicating because we see them talking all the time in the dugout uh, but whether that's Montoyo or whether it's the analytics it's, it's something that's been really good for them uh, so far this year, I mean, the bullpen without the bullpen, I don't know where the Blue Jays would be. I heard a stat that uh, when the Jays are leading after the seventh inning, I believe it was mentioned on the broadcast last night, they're undefeated after seven innings when they're leading the game. So really good to see the bullpen has been very solid so far this year. And uh, it's been a major bright spot for the Blue Jays. What hasn't been a bright spot is that left side defense. Kevin Biggio over at third base has really struggled. Bo Bichette has made the second most errors for a shortstop so far this season. And, and guys, uh, Tyler, you go first. What do you think the problem is with Bo Bichette right now? And is it time to explore a position change? We knew that Bo Bichette was probably not going to turn out to be a everyday shortstop or an everyday defensive gem of a shortstop. We have seen shortstops like Derek Jeter who are not – the best defensive shortstops, but make up for it in other spots. When we talked to Ben Nicholson Smith a couple months ago, he mentioned that he thought this was the last year that Bo had a chance that he needs to prove himself this year because there is a plethora of shortstops on the market next year. 
So this is his chance and they're going to let him play it out. And if he keeps going the way he is, he's probably going to end himself up as a second baseman. My problem is, is he better as a second baseman? Because the problem is a lot with his arm personally, with my, uh, my amateur eye, I see, I think his arm gets a little too long. I think it needs to be short and to the point because the longer your arm is, the more chances you have to come underneath the ball, beside the ball, or get to on top of the ball. It just needs to be short to your ear and explode through. But what do I know? All I know is that there's a problem here. They need to either fix it, but I don't think that the front office sees this year as win or nothing. They see it as we are still growing. So let's see what Bo is. And if we have to, we can go spend some money on a Trey Turner, on a uh, Trevor Story, on a lot of these guys who are coming up this year. Yeah, the free agent market at shortstop is uh, is a big one this offseason, and, and Bo Bichette does have to prove himself. No, I'll direct this one over to you. Marcus Simeon, who is now a Blue Jay, spent uh, a lot of years in Oakland working on that infield defense with Ron Washington, who's one of the best. Now I think he's in Atlanta, but when he was in Oakland, he was a huge part of why Simeon improved defensively. The A's gave him time to grow, and he turned himself into a Gold Glove-nominated shortstop. Do you think that the Jays can pull the same thing off with Bichette, or do you agree with Tyler and, and Ben Nicholson-Smith, or who, who you guys had on your show uh, preseason, that this is Bo's last chance? Uh, it, it's tough, right? I, I do think that Bo, if you give him the time, if you give Bo two full seasons at shortstop, then I, I think he could develop to be a good shortstop. He's not going to be a great shortstop. I don't think that Bo has that to be a, 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 an all-star shortstop. I think he'd be a good shortstop, a guy that you can rely on to make the plays that he needs to make. I don't know if the Jays have that much patience, to be honest with you. We talk about how this is a, a growing year and to be honest with you, by the time next year rolls around, if everything goes to plan, the Jays are going to be looking at wanting to be a competing team, right? Uh, they're going to they're going to want to be a competing team, and you're not going to do that with Bobichet still learning at shortstop. I think it's just it's worth mentioning real quick. So I heard Kevin Barker talking about it on Baseball Central one day that Marcus Simeon was having a lot of problems with his backhand, and that's pretty much all that was ailing him at the time. So there was a lot of taking backhands. Ron Washington hitting him short fungos. Bo has a lot more problems with that. He has problems with the backhand. He has problems coming in on balls. He has problems with his arm slot. There are a lot of things to fix here, and it's not going to be as simple as we got to hit you 100 fungos to your backhand because now you got to hit 100 fungos to the backhand, 100 fungos coming in, 100 fungos to going up the middle. You have a lot to work on. So there, there is a lot of work to be done here. Yeah, and I think that if the Jays are willing to compete next year, if they if they think it's a win now year in 2022, which I believe they do, especially after this year, which is a growing year, and I think everybody's minds, uh, they're gonna have to fix something either with Boba Shatter or get a replacement at shortstop and shift Bo over to second base. We've talked about the arm problems. He's got a strong arm. Do you think that could be a problem at second, Tyler? I think the problem is at second. Sec- that's my problem when a lot of people say, hey, he needs to move to second base. I don't think he's going to be any better as a second baseman because second base, as everyone knows, you guys know playing baseball, you're coming in on the baseball a lot. You're having to throw from a different arm slot. They teach second baseman to throw from a three-quarter or at least a bent-over arm slot because of the angle. When you're turning double plays, you have guys coming at your feet. It is a lot harder to, with your footwork to try and push off the bag and open yourself up to make a throw. There are a lot of problems there that he's also going to have to figure out. Does he have a strong enough arm at third base? I don't know that either. So it's kind of like pick your poison because that bat needs to be in the lineup. So figure out where he needs to be and leave him there. It's the same thing I said with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. coming into the year is that if he's a third baseman or first baseman, doesn't matter, pick a spot and let him learn and play there. If you think Bobachet is your shortstop, then he needs to play there every single day, let himself get better and at least get to the point where you can make the routine plays. And that's all anyone's going to ask for. Yeah, and, and the guy who's leading all shortstops and errors this season is Fernando Tatis Jr., and the Padres are winning now, and they want to keep Tatis in the lineup, use that bat. They don't have a DH in the NL, so Tatis is getting in there every day, and like I just mentioned, they're trying to win now. Noah, is there a scenario where the Blue Jays can go for it all and win now with Bo Bichette still learning at shortstop? I think he can. I mean, you, you can learn and get better to a point where you're not hurting the team, right? He, like I said, he's never going to be that great shortstop, I don't think. But I think he puts in the work this year. He can be there for the Jays, and he can be that guy that makes the routine plays and has a good bat. He's going to be the guy that has a good bat. That's his future. He's not going to be someone who's going to be a gold glove shortstop, second baseman, third baseman, 
wherever he ends up. He's going to be that guy that's good to average defensively and will hit over 300, knock 30 balls out of the park a year. I think that's where Bobachet's future is. And how, how much of this comes back to not having a third baseman either, because that is a problem for shortstops. If your third baseman doesn't have range and isn't comfortable playing there, it's going to make you a little uneasy too, because you know that you have to make an extraordinary play versus if you have a third baseman who is, you think capable to at least get to the balls that you don't have to be Superman. You can just be a regular shortstop. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about third base here for a second. We've seen Kevin Biggio struggle at the position. We've seen Joe panic, try to fill in uh, and panic actually this evening in today's game made a, a play on a ball that he, he missed it because of the sun, but panic has, has kind of looked shaky at times at third base, it's not his natural position. He's a second baseman and a shortstop third base isn't his forte, but a gold glove defender at second. He's been able to transition pretty well over to third, but this past weekend, and I know it's a small sample size, we saw Santiago Espinal make some great plays over, uh, over at third base, and he's done that every time he's been on the big league roster. We've seen him make contact with the ball. He's not going to be a power hitter, but he's been getting on base. Do you guys think it's time to maybe when Teoscar Hernandez comes back to move on from Joe Panic? if the team is wanting to win and have Santiago Espinal take on the role of utility infielder uh, who plays a lot of third base? I've always been a fan of Espinal in his game, and I think it fits in well to what the Jays need, right? He's a type of guy that the Jays, I think, benefit from having in the lineup because of his style of game. It's different from other guys in the Blue Jays lineup. He's not going to knock the ball out of the park. He's going to be on base, and he's fast. He's got some speed, right? And I think the Jays can use some of that as well. I agree with everything you just said. There are two reasons that Joe Panic will be on this team. One is how long he's been around the MLB. And with such a young team, he is part of helping this team grow up and teach them what it is to be in the MLB for whatever whatever he's been in for, eight, nine, ten years, I would assume, somewhere around there. But the other thing is he's a left-handed bat, and that is huge for this team because they have all righties and they have sent down to their alternate site today one of their left-handed bats. So they need a left-handed bat. I love Santiago Espinal. I think he's part of the best defensive infield that the Jays have right now but I don't think I think we've seen this office time after time after time put a veteran presence over other things yeah but this spring we saw Francisco Liriano was in camp he was a guy who was out of options he's a veteran and they opted to take Tim Meza who was not guaranteed a spot after his Tommy John surgery on the team do you think that now that the team is in more of a win now mode we'll see the front office start to make moves that are less for preserving organizational depth and more for putting the best team out there. I think that Joe panic is part of win now because he has been there. He's won world series. And I think we overlook sometimes how much it can mean to have a guy in the clubhouse who's been there, done that and can work you through the ups and downs and grind of 162. Again, I love Santiago Espinal and the difference with the pitching staff is I think Liriano could have played on this team. I really do. I think they already had two lefties in mind that they wanted to keep. And, and Tim Meza was a really good lefty a couple of years ago before having to get Tommy John surgery. And his stuff is just more electric than, than Liriano. I don't think the difference between Joe Panic and Espinal are really that much. Yeah, it's a good point you bring up. It's a completely different animal on the pitching staff uh, than what it is on the field. You mentioned when you were talking about Joe Panic there, Tyler, that uh, the Jays sent down another one of their lefty bats to the alternate site today with the return of George Springer, which is very exciting. Uh, he, I believe, lined out in his first at-bat tonight. Um, they sent down Rowdy Telez to the alternate site. Telez is a guy who has struggled, but like you mentioned, lefty bat, and we've seen him hit before. Noah, did the Jays, and then Tyler, we'll send it over to you, did the Jays make the right move sending down to les over a guy like jonathan davis right move maybe I, it's not going to be for long that's i don't think this is going to be a move that is going to even last more than two weeks i could be way wrong way wrong way off i don't think it's going to last that long by the time tyler takes his next shower to les is going to be back up in the big leagues and he's going to be he just needed a little bit of a break to get himself back into what we saw him doing in the spring like he has a good bet he swings for power He's a lefty bat. The Jays need it. He's not going to be down for long. When you have a three-year-old stepdaughter and a pregnant fiance, you enjoy your times in the shower. They're, like <laughs> I spend 20 minutes in that shower twice a day. So I spend all the time in the shower. I can, uh, I feel bad for Rowdy Telez. He had a terrible start to the year. 
Granted, I guarantee you that. But they stuck with it, and it, it paid off. He basically single-handedly won them a game in Tampa Bay. He turned over a 100-mile-an-hour pitch on the inside corner and drove it to an alley. How hard is that to do? It, it is almost impossible to do. That He has a really good bat. He is the backup first baseman that you need because Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is not going to play 162 at first base. And again, he is a left-handed power bat, which is something else that you can use in the middle of the order. I think the problem is, for one, they probably have another bullpen day coming up this weekend. So I think they wanted to keep another pitcher around to extend that bullpen. And they wanted, they didn't see, the the explanation that I saw around Twitter was that uh, Springer's going to take up a lot of DH spot over the next couple of days because he doesn't want to stress himself by playing in the field. So Rowdy's not going to play. So if he's not going to play, he has options. Let's set him down. Let's allow him to get some at-bats and work on his timing, and he will be back. So I don't think he's not going to be down for very long. But this guy needs to either get a fair shake or to be shipped out of town because he has some talent. Yeah, he does, and he's he's a great bat to have once he's on. And last year we saw a good Rowdy Telez. He was hitting the ball to the opposite field. He was driving balls into the parking garage behind the behind Salem Field in Buffalo. He's got the talent. He just hasn't been able to put it all together consistently. And that's what the Jays, I think, are going to look to do. The AAA season, I believe, begins in the coming weeks. So hopefully he can get some at-bats down there maybe and uh, and then get called back up to the big club. But I agree. I don't think that this move is going to last very long. Um, another case of a struggling bat, Danny Jansen, a wizard defensively uh, behind the plate. But uh, do you guys think, uh, Tyler, we'll start with you, then go over to Noah. Should Alejandro Kirk begin stealing some starts from Danny who's hitting 049 coming into today. I am definitely part of the Aliambros, if you want to call it that. I for sure love Aliandro Kirk. I don't think Aliandro Kirk is ready to be a major league starting catcher for sure. And I don't think Danny Jansen's another one catcher either. I think they would have been the Jays that uh, being them would have been, it would have been advantageous to them to go out and get one of these catchers in the offseason if it was you know the t- the the real mutos or the hedges or whoever it ended up being because i just don't think they have a number one catcher here i think they I, I believe the catcher's name is austin riley who is down in the minors right now um he i believe they think he could be the next guy but let's not forget kirk has not played above single a before last year and then he made that jump to the major leagues and everyone crowned him as the next catcher he is very young Danny Jansen is a good to above average catcher behind the plate. And he showed moments of hitting. He's hit the ball hard this year, but he just has nothing to show for it. I think you're going to stick with Jansen because I don't think they trust what Kirk can do behind the plate. And I'll, I'll go back to a couple of days ago when the Jays, I believe it was the eighth inning. They had, it was the ninth inning. They had uh, the insurance run at third base and they let Danny Jansen swing rather than let Rowdy Telez come in, get in that bat against a righty as a left-handed hitter, and then let Kirk go behind the plate. So I don't think – I think that shows you they do not trust Kirk behind the plate in big situations defensively. So that's why Danny's going to stick around. He's going to get these at-bats. But I, there, it definitely needs to be addressed, the catching position. Yeah, no, Danny Jansen will play this season as the number one catcher for the Jays regardless of what he hits. unless he actually doesn't get another hit for the rest of the year, which at this rate might be possible. Who knows? Um, He hasn't been hitting well at all. He's going to be there because of the defense and because this is a growing season, like we've talked about countless times already. He's going to be there to help this team grow, to help make sure that they're settled in what is probably one of the most important, if not the most important positions defensively on the field, the catcher, right? You need to have a strong catcher, a safe, strong catcher behind the dish. And I think the Jays are going to stick with, uh, Danny Jansen behind the dish for uh, give or take the next few months, if not this season, and Kirk will get the at-bats when he needs to. Yeah, don't ask him to bunt, though. Eh? He cannot <laughs> bunt. Don't ask anyone to bunt. Nobody bunts. Danny Jansen, swing away. You're hitting an 050, but swing away in extras. No bunting. <laughs> well, Kevin Biggio can bunt. He's got a couple bunt singles, I think, this year. Well, right? he can't hit either, so. <laughs> well, he's turning things around. He got put in that leadoff spot, and he started but turning things around. But That is why he turned things around, is because he was in the leadoff position. Again, I'm not a baseball savant here, but I've been saying it Far for months. Him. I've been saying it for months and months and months. He cannot hit in the middle of this order. That is not what he does. He does not drive in runs in 
let's say runners in scoring position, but anyone on base does not play to his advantage because he wants to see pitches. So I don't think there is a coincidence to him moving to the top of the order and the Jays hitting a little bit better because it moves everyone down to where they need to go. Simeon is down in the seventh spot or the sixth spot where he should be. Everyone is back to where they should be. And Biggio is in a place where he can look for a walk. He can see pitches. He's in his element. So I don't, I saw today he was back in, in the fifth spot and it blows my mind. Yeah. And I, you mentioned the, the nine hole idea with Kevin Biggio at first I, I didn't like it, but as you continued to, to, to tell me why he should be there, it's like, all right, that makes a lot of sense because you're obviously not moving George Springer out of that leadoff spot unless he tells you to move him out of that leadoff spot because I, I think he's like eighth all time in leadoff home runs. It's where he's hit his whole career. He's a guy that you stick in that leadoff spot and he has success there. You don't want to move him out, but if you want Biggio to have that second leadoff spot element, which I know is, a, is something that people don't talk about much anymore, the nine spot would be a good spot for him because he can get on base, work a walk and get on for guys. You mentioned he doesn't drive guys in, but he is usually, or he tries to be one of the guys getting driven in. So Kevin Biggio is a guy who gets on base and I think the leadoff spot or maybe the nine spot would be a great place for him. Well, I think we see a lot of times when he comes up with guys on or in a run scoring position, he's swinging early in counts. And that is not what Calvin or Kevin does. He gets deep into counts of what he, that's what he needs to do. And people say, okay, we'll move him to the seven or eight spot. Cause you're, you're the nine spot is for your worst hitter. No, because I don't want him to work a walk to use his OBP to get onto base and then have Danny Jansen come up behind him. There's no point in that. If he's going to work his way onto base, I want George Springer in the top of this order ready to drive him in. So to me, it's a no-brainer to have him in, but who did we talk to that that really didn't agree with me? Mike, Mike Wilner, he yeah. definitely did not agree with me. <laughs> he didn't agree. Well, the thing is, and, and Dylan just said he kind of agreed with you, because Mitty has this thing where he just, he'll talk about it so much in your ear until it makes sense. It, it might not make sense, but he'll just, he won't shut up about it until it does make sense. Yeah, well, I think I think it's uh, it's it's not a bad spot for him, and I think that maybe we'll see some Kevin Bijou in the nine spot in the future. Uh, moving on now, a, a segment that I like to do on on the show that my dad and I do every week uh, is the best, the two best, and the worst. So the best pitcher, the best hitter in the past week of Blue Jays baseball, and then the worst. But we'll put a little twist on it since it's the end of the first month of the regular season. Uh, who Noah and then Tyler has been your best hitter for the Blue Jays in the month of April? Uh, if this isn't the same across the board, then I think we have a little bit of an issue with our show going forward, boys. Uh, it's got to be Vlad, right? How is how is it anyone else on this team? He's clearly blown away all our expectations to start this year. He looks like a totally different person. Like he doesn't even look like the Vlad that we saw coming up. He looks confident. He's swinging the ball. He's swinging the bat really good. He's hitting the ball, making strong contact, hitting it super hard. Vlad's easily the best hitter on this team right now. I'll pick somebody else just because I don't want to go with the same one. Obviously, Vlad is probably the best, but I'll go with Randall Grichuk. He last year we saw new Randall for a lot, a lot of parts of the year, and I think we saw him to start the year this year. He, he's a, had a bit of a slide, but I think he's given you competitive at bats. He's hitting balls hard, and he was playing a good center field for you. Not that that matters with the hitting thing that you asked, but I do. Uh, Vladdy is number one, but if I have to pick someone else, I think Randall has looked like the Randall that we saw last year at times. Yeah, and I, I like the, the Randall pick. It's a good pick away from Vladdy, who is definitely the obvious one. He's my pick as well. I mean, he's just torn the cover off the ball in the month of April. Uh, but Randall Gritchick also having a, a, a an underrated month of April for the Blue Jays. Now for the best pitcher, Tyler, then Noah. Best pitcher. I mean, I think it was... Can be bullpen or rotation. It's tough because the bullpen has had so many guys up and down. I think it was Mayweather before he did get hurt. And obviously he got hurt. We haven't seen him in a while. So we, we can't go there. I think it's Hunjin Ryu. And for the only reason that he is the stabilizer in this in this rotation, there's so many questions around him. But he is the guy that you know that when they give him the baseball, he is going to give you five, six, maybe seven solid innings. And he's going to keep you more than likely under three runs and give you a chance to win the game. So missing him, I think, is going to be – Huge if they do miss him a time through the order, but I think he just has been, he is the, the stabilizing horse in this rotation. Tyler hates when I do this and he, he knows I'm going to do it again. Anyways, I picking Ryu again. Uh, listen, he is the reason you pay him all that money is to do what he's doing right now. He's not the guy that's going to throw it by you at 98, 99, 100. He's not that guy. That's never who he's been, 
but he, the way he uses his off-speed pitches, the way that he works backwards, the way that he messes with hitters' timing, is that is why you love this guy. That is why he's at the top of the rotation, and it's why he's the best pitcher on this team. There's so many other options. You could have went with so many other people. He told me to pick the best. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> well, you picked the best on the last one. I still went with someone else. You're there's three guy, There's three You're guys that had sub-two ERAs, and you were like, oh, no, no, I got to go with the same guy he did. <laughs> I'm going to go just to be different. I'm going to go Stephen Matz, who's had a great Thank month you. of April so far. Uh, yes, just to, just to please you there, Tyler. I'm going to go with Matz. He's had an awesome month. He seems to have figured something out. And again, we don't know how he's pitching tonight. It could be a disaster out there. But from what we've seen so far from Stephen Matz, I think he's been the second best behind Ryu. But for the, for the sake of being different, I will go with Stephen Matz. Uh, now for the worst player. Can be a hitter, can be a pitcher. Worst player, month of April. Tyler, we'll start with you. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Wow. His at-bats have looked atrocious and looked empty, and his defense looks lost like he's running backwards for a guy who I think rightfully still had some gold glove uh, chances last year, and he's just, he's looked lost to me. He needs to figure it out. I mean, there's a lot of guys who are having bad at-bats. We definitely could have went with Danny Jansen. He definitely could have went with Kevin Biggio. But Lourdes Gurriel is playing a position that he's going to play every day. He's going to play in left field every day, so get comfortable, make the routine plays, and don't look lost. I don't want to pick the same one as you, but I'm going to. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> we would have we would have been uh, done real quick if that was the case. Listen, I, I'm the Danny Jansen basher. That's what I do. I, listen, I get the point of the game where it's good to have a defensive catcher that is solid. I just praised him for it five minutes ago, if you recall. But I just don't know how you can keep a guy in the lineup that is hitting so bad. Also, he just looks terrible. He doesn't look confident at the plate. He looks like it's his first time swinging a baseball bat. He needs to figure it out. I don't know what he needs to do, to be honest with you. I'm not good enough to know what he needs to do. I just know he needs to fix it. I'm not happy. I think yeah. we we have definitely jinxed uh, Stephen Matz on this show because it's currently 6 nothing Washington. Nice. The two other <laughs> baseball talk jinx. Uh, Had to bring that up, that. eh? <laughs> well, at least we've got an update on tonight's game, and it's uh, not going so smoothly for Stephen Matz out there. He's not missing bats. Uh, sorry, I had to I had to throw in a rhyme. The worst player for me in the month of April is Marcus Semyon for the Blue Jays. Uh, he was a guy who they signed for $18 million for one year. He's a guy who's supposed to hit. And early on, you could see some signs of life in that bat. He was hitting okay in New York and then hitting, hitting pretty well in Texas. He was hitting the ball really hard and really well, hitting home runs. Ever since then, he's not really doing it. And he hit that home run against Tyler Glass now in Tampa Bay. It was huge for the Blue Jays. But besides that, besides the first couple of series, Simeon has been very underwhelming at the plate. And I think he's been the worst Blue Jay solely because we expect or we should be expecting more out of him. I'll push back on that. I think he's given you a solid second base, which is pretty much all you ask for. Like, yes, you paid him a lot of money, but I, it's really just money. This this team still in the overall looks of things has is not paying their players really too much. Their payroll is fairly low when you look at the MLB. So they asked him to change positions. He came in, he changed positions. They asked him to lead off, which he's not comfortable doing. And he led off. And now they're moving him back down again into a different spot. I think he's going to give you what he's going to give you. Nobody expected him to be you know, a masher and to be the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. What we're seeing right now kind of hitter. He is what he is. He's going to give you a solid second base and he's going to take his money and go. I would argue that he is comfortable in the leadoff spot and he wasn't doing it because in Oakland for all six years that he was there, he was leading off and they had to find a new leadoff hitter this year. I think it's Mark Canna right now, but he just, he wasn't putting up the results and, and you would expect at $18 million, Joe panic, I think is signed for six, maybe three. He's what you would expect. Uh, he's what you, or he's how you would pay a defensive second baseman. And I think we should be expecting and getting more from Marcus Simeon right now. I have to look this up. If they're paying Joe Panic six million dollars, I think it's is... three. I think that was. I think that was. A mistake. <laughs> there is a lot of problems. <laughs> I think that was that was a mistake on my part. But but yeah, I mean, like he's paid a lot less money than Marcus Semi, and and he provides uh, the same, if not better, defense at second base when he's there. Yeah, but if, you, 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 I don't know. That's a tough one because I think he's actually played pretty good to start the season. Let me put it this way: if you had a chance with a runner on third 
two out in the ninth inning. That's the tying run on ninth. Would you rather see Marcus Simeon coming up, Lourdes Coriel coming up, Danny Jansen coming up, Calvin Biggio coming up? I would argue Marcus Simeon is probably at the top of that terrible list. I, yeah, because you go picked like the four worst guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the worst guy. We're not talking about, do you want Vladdy up? We're talking about the worst guy on the team right now. It's funny because we just talked about the two best, best hitter, best pitcher. There was no argument whatsoever. Everyone kind of agreed with everybody's picks, but now we're getting into the worst. And that should be what we're arguing about. You want to have a lot of great guys on your team, but you picked Tyler, you picked uh, like the five worst guys on the roster and they're supposed to be key contributors to this team. And those are guys that are playing every single day for this team (laughs) too. It's a problem. That is a problem. Names half the team. (laughs) Yeah. Right now, anyone past, Randall Gritchick is giving you a zero at bat. And that is like, if, if Vladdy doesn't go off last night with three home runs and 10 RBIs or whatever, that whatever he had seven RBIs, I don't know what it was. What does the score end up being? Do they even win still? If it wasn't for Vladdy, like they need one guy to carry the team right now. Yeah. And that's what they've been getting from Vladdy. Uh, moving on now. Earlier this week, a change was announced in the Pioneer League by Bob Nightingale. I was surprised he got this story right, uh, which is an American independent <laughs> baseball league. They you know, we hated Bob Nightingale. So Bob bad. Nightingale is, is the worst of breaking news, man. He said I... Bauer was going to the Mets. He's made some, he said, uh, I think he put in a story once that Michael Walker would be a better player than Corey Seager and the Dodgers made a mistake taking him. He's had some horrible takes I to just, be fair uh, to be fair bauer was playing everyone with the mets thing so like you can't really fault him on that one because but, but was, don't act bauer like tweeted he tweeted he was going to the mets didn't he yeah that's what i mean bauer was yeah. playing with that so i mean anyways go on we well, like bob Nightingale. he's great i don't like bob Nightingale. i mean bob Nightingale seems like, like he seems like a stand-up guy but <laughs> i don't think that his his reporting is as reliable as other people like jeff passan Listen, Bob, you you are more than welcome on the Smitty and Mitty show. Other shows, maybe not, but the Smitty and Mitty show will have you anytime. Yeah, well, I don't think he gets invited on too many shows right now because of how poor that reporting is. Where were you going with this question? The Bob Nightingale slander show is over. Um, the Pioneer League, which is an American independent baseball league, announced earlier this week they're going to change the way they play extra innings. When a game is tied after the nine innings, each team will pick a hitter to face five pitches and whoever has the most home runs after those five rounds wins the game. If there's a tie, it becomes a knockout type thing. Uh, Personally, I think it's really stupid. What do you guys think? Tyler, you go first. It's really stupid. No, this uh, (laughs) I'll go next. The the pioneer league is basically the league where the MLB it's like it's like the island of misfit toys that's where they throw all of their ideas that maybe might possibly could maybe in some time work and then they end up not working i i believe that's the league where they have a guy on stilts that plays every now and then like <laughs> no, that's, it, a, that's a that's whole a different, different okay that's, that's a different okay. bananas that's like but they, I don't uh, know what league that is they were trying out a bunch of things down there be it um be it the umpires be it you know, pass balls that you could steal first base on, on any pitch during the game. They they try out stuff there, and uh, this is a atrocious mistake. They seem to be fixing something that's not broken. Baseball is not broken. Baseball has been the same for hundreds of years. I tweeted out the other day, Mitty TSMS on Twitter, that uh, <laughs> I believe it was in 2004, the MLB, the average team, was worth around $154 million. And now they're worth $1.3 billion. There is no problem growing this league. Stop getting too greedy and losing the player, the, the fans that you have. There is no reason to lose the diehard baseball fans. Yes, it sucks when some games go 14, 15, 16 innings. I can agree with that. But you're going to have that. It's baseball. If you want to do this stupid runner on second thing, I can get on board with that because at least it's kind of baseball. But like, don't make too many changes just for the casual fan. That's my opinion. Noah? Yeah, I I don't like it. I, I think we all don't like it. So I'm, I'll go into details. It's someone described it to me as the MLB's version of a shootout in hockey, which I also don't love. So don't compare it to that because you're not going to change my mind on that. Uh, it's It's... I'd rather them tie games, to be honest with you. If you're going to do this, I'd rather you just give them a tie. But, like, you don't want to get ties into baseball. So, therefore, get rid of this idea. It's terrible. It's not baseball. I love the runner on second. Me and Tyler argue about this all the time. He still doesn't love it. 
I like the runner on second. I think I'm it in speeds the up the it. game a little bit. I, I think it I speeds up it. the game. It's still baseball. It's used. It's not just like the MLB just made this one up. Leagues have used this before. Tournaments have used this before. And it works. And I think it adds excitement to the game. I don't, I, I don't think... Listen, if they're going to make a change, if they think that the games are going too long and something has to be done, then, okay, this is a way that you can do it. I just don't believe that something needs to be done. I just don't think you need to change baseball. But if you think you have to, then put a runner on second base. Don't make it a shootout form. Yeah, I think the shootout form is ridiculous. And, I mean, if you were to have a game between the Blue Jays and the Pirates, right, the Pirates could win a game in 14 innings against the Blue Jays. It all depends on, you know, how they manage their pitching, what happens there. That's exciting. That's the strategy that you want to see as a baseball fan. It's not when you have Teoscar Hernandez against who for the Pirates? Nobody knows. No, I don't even know if they have a single power hitter on that team. Who knows if the balls are going to be hit out of the ballpark. I think it's terrible that one guy can decide the outcome of a game in, in a team sport like that. I mean, it's a really bad idea in my mind. And I think that they really missed the mark with this one, but no, I, I saw some interactions on your tweet that people really like the idea. I don't get the side of, of, of liking this because I think it's, it's probably the worst rule change I've seen. And we've seen the Atlantic league. We've seen the pioneer league, two leagues that are like the, the experimental leagues for major league baseball. The pioneer league is just some league in the Rocky mountains and they're trying something different. I get that. But I think that they really miss the mark with this. one. It's the same thing. People love a home run derby. I love a home run derby when it's in the all-star game and when it's its own event, that means absolutely nothing to the standings or the regular season. I love the home run derby. Putting it into the game, though, takes away baseball. It takes away what we're there to watch. It would be the same thing as if, Here's my idea for the NOAA Baseball League of 2021. When teams are tied going into extra innings now, you each get to pick one pitcher, and they get five pitches to see who can throw harder. That team wins. Does that make sense? No, this is the same thing. It's the same thing. It makes no sense. We can have the whole argument about the all-star game and the home run derby. Cause I, I think that the all-star game and the home run derbies is a bunch of money grab and it's ridiculous and it's taking advantage of your players, but we can do that a whole nother time. Of course it's a money grab. That's what all-star games are. <laughs> but, but why the MLB was the only league that it actually meant something that there was actually something behind the all-star game. You saw teams that actually gave a crap because it meant that you could have home field advantage for the world series. And they said, even that's too much for us. We're taking it away. Now there's really no reason to watch it. At least there was something, something, give me something. You're going to have it for money. So give me some reason to watch it. And they gave me absolutely no reason to watch it, but I don't, that's a lot. We're not going to go into all that. I, I think. think that, I think that the all-star game, I mean, it's, it's a chance to see the biggest stars in the world on the field competing in one game. And I get is that it? aspect of it yes. for the most part. It's, it, is it, it is because, because is Freddie Freeman going to go out there and give his all what it means? Absolutely. No, nothing. no, but it's I don't think even in the world series year. Like I, I think that they, they somewhat did, but as time went on, I mean, I think the last year that that was a thing was 2016 and guys weren't like, giving it they're all out there they're not going to do that no matter what because it's a game that that doesn't have any importance to their team standing if you've got you know jazz chisholm of the miami marlins who are sitting 15 games out of first place and this doesn't impact how the marlins are going to play if they're going to make the playoffs at all why would he care who gets home field advantage in the world series it was ridiculous in 2016 the cubs won 106 games or something like that and cleveland who had I think low 90s got home field advantage in the World Series. I think that was a bad move, but I do agree with you. There's no real reason to watch the All-Star game, although I do love myself a home run derby. Well, that's the only thing. Like, if it's not in my, if it's not at the Rogers Center and I can go see it, then I really don't care about it because I, there's just no point in me watching some, like, the All-Stars be on the field and give it 20%. I, it just doesn't entertain me. And even, I, I personally think that the all-star game can actually hurt players. Let's look at Jose Bautista or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The two years that they were there, Jose Bautista went on a massive slide after the home run derby because he changed his mechanics to hit home runs. Vladimir Guerrero, he was trying to make the MLB or he was trying to make a impact at the MLB level. And he wasn't, he was taking out of his groove by trying to hit home runs and it really hurt him. So it hurts the players just as much as it does. It's just, 
you just got to give me some reason to watch it. They got to give me some reason. Like they're aware of that. They don't have to do it. No one's forcing them into the home run derby. If they want to do it, they want to do it. Listen, I don't think the home run derby, the all-star game, they're not made for you to watch it on TV. They're made for the 40,000 people to pay a hundred dollars a ticket to go watch it and to buy the merchandise. It's, it's a money thing. It's a money thing. That's why they do it. But the other side, like when you look at some of the home run derbies, some of them are big name guys for sure. But there's other ones that people make their name because of the home run derby, because nobody knows who they are besides that. That shouldn't like, I don't want to go see some guys that they're trying to build up their reputation in the MLB by hitting home runs at a home run derby. I, I don't, I don't need to see that. If you're going to do it, then give me Prince Fielder who hits balls 700 feet. You know what? Give me Barry Bonds and, and McGuire juiced up, let them juice up for a month and let's see how the home run derby goes that way. That's an interesting idea. <laughs> um, going back to the pioneer league rule change here for a second. Is that um, what we're talking about? <laughs> it was, it's where we started. Um, I don't, I don't know this. And, and maybe one of you has read the article. I didn't read the article. I'm sorry. I just looked at the tweets um, in this home run derby extra inning format. Does a coach pitch or is it like one V one Jacob deGrom versus Mike Trout who can hit the most home runs? Like, is that what they're doing? Or is it a, is it a coach pitch? No, it's some, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the same thing as a home run derby. I think it's a designated uh, whether it's your pitching coach or whoever you designate for the team to, your BP pitcher, obviously your BP batting practice thrower is going to be the guy who's in there tossing and it's uh, you pick a guy and have at it, right? There's no, I don't see, listen, they're experimenting, obviously. It's not going to last long. I don't know if it, it'll last the year and that's it, right? So this will be a little blip in our past. I, it's, I think what they're trying to do is obviously to make the game shorter. And I think there's a lot of other options to make the game shorter that don't affect it so much. I, I'm not completely on board with only having a certain amount of pitchers, but I can tell you how boring it is that Charlie Montoya is walking out to the mound after four pitches of every inning during a bullpen day that makes it a really long, boring day. So you need to address that. I think you can address the shifts. You can control where guys are shifting to because that's going to increase your offense and increase a little bit of, of the excitement during a game. I think there's other things you can do without just changing the fundamental rules of baseball. And uh, another rule change that's being explored is we'll transition very nicely out of that uh, pioneer league rule change into another one that's, that's been talked about for years, robot umpires. I mean, this year we've seen some horrendous calls behind the plate uh, and in the field there have been some really questionable calls made by umpires. I had a rant that in a, a couple episodes ago about the replay that, that cost the Braves, the game most likely on Sunday night baseball, the first one of the year disaster for major league baseball, or maybe it was the second one of the year, either way, not ideal. Um, Tatter, I know you're not a huge fan of robot umpires. I think I, I, I got that from our, our conversations on social media. Do you think that that's where the game is headed? And do you like that? If it is, I think it's pretty obvious with all of my talk here that I'm a baseball purist at heart. And I think that ML or that umpires, the human error part of the game, umpires making mistakes is part of baseball. It's going to happen. These umpires are incredibly good at the job they do. The worst umpires, the worst called games behind the plate, they're still, still averaging somewhere around 95% correct strike calls. So you're looking at what, maybe 10 pitches that they missed max. That's a maximum throughout the game pitches they missed. And that could be inches off the plate. It could be. We only see the ones that are, you know, two, three inches off the plate because those get shown around. But for the most part, these guys are incredibly good at what they do. I think that there's things that we we have talked about on the show that they could do besides the robot umpires because they tried it out in one of the leagues. If it was the Pioneer, if it was the Atlantic, I don't know which league it was, but they did try it out there. And there were some calls, some mistakes made by the robot. There's curveballs that hit the dirt that are called strikes, strikes at the nipples. Things that are strikes, they're technically strikes, but they're not, they're called, they're not called strikes now because it's almost impossible to hit a hundred right at your chest, but it is technically a strike. So you're going to see the offense go way down with these robot umpires and there's going to be an adjustment period there too. Listen, it's not really broken. If you want to increase the replays to allow these guys to maybe look at calls and strikes in late innings, I would rather you do that than take them away fully. 
And there are some other things that, that you can address. Like, why do we have a 70, whatever year old Joe West behind the plate? Cause it is almost impossible for your eyes at that age to see a hundred mile an hour pitch move two feet and still be able to call it appropriately. You have 30, 40 year old men doing this job, women, 30, 40 year old women doing this job, allow them with the better eyes to make the calls. You don't need a 70 year old man doing this job. Make them retire, make them move on. And if you know that, Hey, Angel Hernandez is God awful behind the plate. He's a God awful umpire period, but he's bad behind the plate. So why put him there? Why, why, why make the teams deal with it? Just, just don't rotate him there. If he needs to stay, let him do second base, third base, first base. Don't make him behind the plate. Add an extra umpire to your crew, five man rotation, three guys behind the plate in each series. And if you need to go to a four, sometimes he can do the odd game, but don't put him in a rotation. There's things to be fixed here. There's things that we can do that don't involve taking the guys completely out behind the plate. Now, Noah, before you go and tell us your point of view on this, you mentioned, Tyler, that it's impossible to hit a pitch at the, uh, up at your chest, uh, at your nipples at 100 miles an hour. Is it not, is the game becoming too hard for human beings to, to judge? Like, is that 100 mile an hour fastball, even for somebody who's got better eyes than Joe West, is, it, is baseball becoming too fast for human beings to be able to say, okay, that was a strike. Okay. That was ball. Cause when DeGrom's pumping one Oh one on a consistent basis, and that pitch is moving just a tiny little bit. That's hard for a human, for the human eye to see is the game too hard now for umpires. I just don't think we've seen the evidence of that yet. Uh, we, yes, I get, I give you, uh, no, no, I, I'm going to interrupt you here. It is too hard for certain umpires. I'm going to go back to the point you just said, you said the worst umpires in the game are 95%. That's not true, by the way, because some of the umpires, Angel Hernandez, the other nine, the other night was 88%. That's not good. That's unacceptable in Major League Baseball. You can't have an umpire making 88% of their calls right. You need him higher than that. You do need to put guys that we do, can make we, the calls. You do need to you do need to make guys that can make the calls in those positions. You need to eliminate this rotation where you're having guys who are not strong behind the plate behind the plate. I also would like to mention that there are guys who consistently do world series and playoff games who are 98, 99% on a consistent basis. Like we just, we have the outliers, we have the guys in the middle, but we have good umpires. I don't see the evidence that it is too fast for everybody. For some people, for sure. Some people maybe shouldn't be there. I should, I would make a terrible major league umpire. I can tell you that, but I haven't done it. Like they're the guys who are good at it. Let them be good at it. And don't force the other guys to, to try. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there are so many different ways that you could look at this uh, and how to fix this problem. I know that this year with the robot umpires, I think in the Atlantic league, they're, they're going to a 2d strike zone instead of a 3d strike zone because the 3d strike zone was uh, questionable at times, as you brought up in, uh, in previous years when they've tested that out, I think the robot umpires are the way to go um, in the future. But like you mentioned, I mean, these guys are good. I, I couldn't do what they do. And, and I don't think any of us here in this interview could do what they do, but we sit here and we, we criticize them because we see it after the fact and we're able to tell quite easily that that was the wrong call, but this is at a very high speed. And, and I think that, umpires i think they do enjoy and I've, I've never been an umpire i've never talked to an umpire about this i think they do enjoy having the different opportunities to, to umpire like the different bases and, and behind the plate i think that behind the plate consistently every game is taxing for an umpire just like it is for a catcher that's why catchers need so many rest days if you get a foul ball off the shoulder every time no matter how much padding you're wearing it's gonna hurt eventually and i think that you can't really do that it's it's i, I like the idea of the rotation but if you're going to do it, you have to have guys who can call games behind the plate uh, for that to work. Well, what I'm saying is you need to hire guys that are solely for behind the plate. And right now, for the most part, until you get into playoffs, they're running a four umpire system. They're all rotating through. You have guys that are very good at the plate that are in the minor league systems. They, they do. They are there. So why not increase it to a five or six man umpiring system? So, yes, you do the plate. And then you get a day off. You get a day off your feet. You can sit and watch the game, completely rest. And then you're going onto the field to get back into it. And then you're back behind the plate and for game one of the next series. If you have a four-game series and you're going to have to rotate four guys behind the plate, I get that. But if you have a three-game series and four umpires, pick the three best guys. There's no reason to make the fourth guy go behind the plate at some point. 
Yeah, no, I think that there are, there are things that MLB is going to have to address uh, in order to to keep fans invested because, you know, like you mentioned, baseball doesn't have a problem growing right now and, and they, they, the, the worth, the what a team is worth has, has consistently gone up over the past decade. But I think you're going to lose people if calls are consistently wrong because people are going to be like, well, what's the point? What's the point of of even doing this if the calls are going to be consistently messed up. And I like the idea of hiring guys to, to do the plate uh, full time. I would actually argue back to you that you're probably, I think you're going to lose more people if the call is correct every time. I think there are people who enjoy being at the game and yelling at the umpires as part of the game. I think if they don't have somebody to yell at, they're going to find someone else. To, they might not find anyone to yell at. They might not go. So but at, at the game, you don't know if it's right or wrong. True. Uh, Sitting in the sitting in the stadium, you you don't know what calls are right or wrong. You could be sitting up in the five hundred level at the Rogers Center, and you're not going to have a clue. They still do. I know <laughs> they do, but you you don't have a clue if it's close. But right? I don't think we're I don't think we're talking about people in the stands because I don't think there's any evidence that that you know attendances have gone down. Like I I, I mean I haven't seen it personally that attendances have gone down. I think what they're worried about haven't consistently since probably about two thousand and five. I think what they're worried about is more the at home crowd that they're where they make their money is where the MLB makes their money is on TV rights. That's where every league makes their money. So I think they're worried about people watching at home, but I, I just, I, I feel that if you take the umpires out of the game almost completely, because on the bases, they can make every call they want. It doesn't matter. Cause we can go behind there. They can go to the replay system. So really they're just making the call just in case, in case they're right. So I just don't see a need to take away the umpires completely. Yeah, no, I, I get that perspective for sure. I think there are, there are problems with the replay system as well that, that need to be addressed. The officiating in baseball is an issue and, uh, and they need to fix it. And we'll see if they are able to do that. Guys, thanks so much for coming on the show today. You can find the Smitty and Mitty show on all your favorite social media platforms and podcast platforms as well. Is there anything you guys want to plug a big interview coming up? Uh, anything you want to mention to make sure people tune in? Yeah, just go ahead and listen to us, uh, like you said, on all those podcast podcast platforms at Smitty Mitty Show, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And uh, yeah, I think by the time this show comes out, we're going to be pretty close to releasing our new episode with uh, Bob Elliott, the legendary Canadian baseball writer. So that's going to be an exciting one to tune into, Dylan. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Bob Elliott, one of the most legendary baseball writers in Canadian baseball history. So thank you very much for joining the show today, guys. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with episode 68 of 211's Baseball Talk.